Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. And today I have the one and only Mr. Pat Hazel on the show. Stay with us. This is going to be fun. You're going to want to hear this one. And we are back. Uh, let me go ahead and bring Pat on. Pat, welcome to the show. Hey, good to be here. It's great to have you here, man. We've we've been talking about this for quite some time, and I finally got you here, man. So, um, first, let me let me um, allow you the opportunity to plug your new podcast. I'll give you full screen so people can see that. What a gorgeous logo graphic you have there. I love it. Thank you. It's it's an Anyvu. Uh, so, you know, anybody <laughs> who knows that uh, brand made this nice backdrop for me. Yeah. But, yeah. Cre uh, creativity and captivity is a very simple thing. It's, a, it's an audio-only podcast, which I'm very proud of. And I was able to start having creative conversations with some of A-list uh, folks that are directors and actors and singers, songwriters, just about anything that somebody has a passion for that's creative. Um, I've talked to aerialists and ventriloquists, and it's really interesting. But to me, the power is in the creative process, not yeah. what they do, not their resume, but how and why they do it. And I was very, very lucky over the last several months to talk to the chief creative officer of Pixar and uh you know, wow. Frank Oz is next week's episode. So, uh, actually drops on Thursday. So we're talking about people who have been through a lot of looked at the world through a lot of different lenses. And I just, I feel like I'm super lucky to be sitting in the uh, seat of curiosity, I call it. And yeah. that I've worked with many of them as a creative consultant or in some project sense where we're usually able to start it from a very informal insider point of view. Sure. And, and I just felt like I was doing this on the phone anyway. If my clients would allow me to capture the conversation, uh, then people could see what it was like to be in a coffee shop with a film director or a producer or an animator. And and it's it, it, I don't know that I would have done it if there wasn't a pandemic because I wouldn't have had the time and then the guests wouldn't have had the time. But yeah. everybody was sort of eager to talk about something more hopeful. And it, I, I, the first several episodes, there's four up already. Um, we're getting really great comments about it and, and people are really the ahas and the sort of golden nuggets are, are worthwhile. So I you appreciate know, you uh, amplifying the voice of it. What's, what's interesting is I, I, I have 370 episodes or something like that. And, um, I, I don't listen to podcasts. <laughs> I'm terrible. I'm a terrible podcast, um, listener. It, it primarily because I sit here and I work in my office and I'm off and on the phone all day and, and, and I don't drive anywhere. Right. And, you know, so when I do, I, I, I'll, I'll, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a, um, a, a concerted effort to listen to some of yours. So, um, well, you know, give, give the first one a listen, really give yeah. the one with, uh, with Pete doctor, because he is, 
he he's the he's running Pixar right now, and he made the yeah. movie Up, and he made the movie Inside Out. I mean, he he wow. wrote and directed. He did Soul, which just got a, an Oscar. So those wow. what's behind those movies is writing stories that make people care, and and really there's some core things that he shares about that that is absolutely transferable. Like to me, that's the it's not a chit chat show about you know, willy nilly things. Right. It's right. like, Oh, look, the, the creativity in captivity was not named about being stuck in the pandemic. It was about getting a creative person to hold an audience captive for an hour. And if right. I had that hour, I didn't want to waste it. So, right. you know, I just talked to pink's aerialist uh, choreographer that does all that stuff. She does flying over rock concerts and on award shows. Um, she tells us a little bit about, the fear of flying and what happens when you have your first fall and all of that is completely uh, usable, even if you're in a business sense, yeah. but what, ha what happens when you have an epic fail? So uh, it's, to me, it feels really, I feel really lucky. Yeah. That's awesome, man. I, I can't wait to start. I'm going to, I'll listen to the first episode today, but so, so Pat, I started this, this show about, it's been a little over three years ago. Um, Jen Gittimer was actually my very first guest. And then Jeffrey was like the fourth or fifth guest. He, he was, he was busier than her at the time. And, and so, um, you know, it, it, I started this to help just to help the average person have a breakthrough in life. And, you know, I've interviewed so many celebrities and, and entrepreneurs and, and people that have been, been through the muck and, and, and got unstuck. And I did not intentionally rhyme that. Um, but, <laughs> but I think but, you did. I think you poorly intentionally rhymed that, but <laughs> right. Right. But I know, you know, your resume is absolutely, it's, it's, I mean, you know, Seinfeld, I mean, come on, man, that's, that's, doesn't get any bigger than Seinfeld. That's, that's huge. And, you know, you've, you've, you've accomplished some amazing things in life. And so I'm excited to hear your life story. Why don't you start out if you would just talk a little bit about where you were born and raised, where it all started for you. Well, where I was born wasn't significant, but that was in Passaic, New Jersey. I don't know anything about it. I was only there a couple of years when my, when dad was in college, but my uh, formative years were really in Omaha, Nebraska. So it was a Midwestern place, uh, which you know, your whole life is about how do I escape this place? Um, it, it's a beautiful town and there's a lot of cool things going there, but that's what part of your childhood is. When do you get a bike and you get to go explore other things besides your family? So right, right. I had some wanderlust to see the world. And what I chose to do to, to make it happen was I learned magic tricks. I learned card tricks. I street performed. I did all kinds. I taught myself to juggle. And wow. that allowed me to go other places. It allowed me to go to San Francisco and to Denver and uh, Chicago and New York. And I got a little taste of all those cities. And what was interesting about it was I didn't have a particularly great uh, magic act or a great juggling act. I had a, a good skill set in a lot of different areas, but primarily I had a sense of humor which meant I could save any tricks that went bad or anything. <laughs> so I started to lean on my insurance policy. And right. when I when I got to the age where I moved from Omaha to Los Angeles, I decided to leave the props behind for the most part 
try to just use humor and stand-up comedy and writing as my tools of the trade. Um, and, and of course, being from Nebraska, the, the number one goal was to be on the Johnny Carson show because Johnny had grown up in Nebraska. He had magic in his background. He was the biggest show you could be on. Yeah. So I, I was lucky enough to do his show prior to his departure in the final years. Oh my gosh. And See, that was, there. that was the big, for a comedian, that's, that's your, uh, Olympic gold medal is to get Johnny to give you that. Okay. Sign. How in the, so, <clears throat> I mean, so Jay Leno did Carson show, right. And, and how did Leno beat you out at, at taking over for Carson? Well, he was a few graduating classes ahead of me, among other things, right? I, I literally always referred to it that way. When I went to LA, I went, oh, okay. So Jerry Seinfeld and Jay Leno and Bill Maher, and there were guys yeah. that were at one, they were the seniors, right? Yeah. And then yeah. there were juniors, and then there were sophomores. Like, I came in as a freshman when everybody was breaking. And so I became a mechanic in Jerry's shop working on his show. But I learned a lot. You know, right yeah. from the beginning, it was working with him and Larry David and many other really interesting comedy writers. And I just felt really blessed to be riding in the sidecar and seeing how it worked because I was pretty young when I first went out and headlined comedy clubs. And in Denver, uh, uh, Roseanne was an opening act for me when I was, I think I was 20 years old. And she was an opening act for you. Yeah. And, That's but awesome. yeah, she was, she was married to a guy who worked at the post office and, uh, and she was a domestic housewife and, but she was very funny. And then she yeah. went off to LA, hit it big at the comedy store, subsequently got a TV show. And, and many of those, uh, Denver comics who were good writers at the time, uh, migrated there and were writers on her show and, you know, so watching that happen to anybody, talk about breaking through walls, to, yeah. you know, whether or not you like her sense of humor or her show, that's really not the point, right? You know, pe people have ebbs and waves in their careers, but at that time, going from being a monologist to be a sitcom star to being a somebody yeah. who everybody recognized, you know, part of that is mindset, I think. Yeah, sure. I I I personally love her her style. Yeah, well, it's she had my a, life. And like, she had, that's the thing. She had a very strong voice, and yeah. I always say to people in any business, but particularly when you're trying to express yourself as a comedian or a songwriter, you have to have an original voice and point of view. If yeah. you're derivative, you're never going to hit that really big peak of being unique. If you're a person on American Idol or any of these shows where you can hit the notes. That's one thing that just makes you a sort of a good technical singer. But if you have a voice, if you have a nuance, if you have a, a special tone or a way to adapt a song to your ability to sell it, that makes all the difference. That original aspect of it is, you know, it's being willing to not look at everything around you. Whenever somebody says, uh, I'm as good as they are, it's like, yeah, but <laughs> You need to be better. You need to be bulletproof. Right. You need to, when somebody picks up your book, it has to read as a message to the world that needs to be told, not another book. The amount of books I have on my bookshelf that are as good as another book, they're everywhere. And, and that isn't to say that talent isn't important, but I think the idea of bringing an original voice to something is changes everything.
It's it's what Lisa Patrick's saying. The you got to have a distinction factor. That's what you're talking about. Hallelujah, Lisa Patrick. Yeah. I like your last name. <laughs> That's a she's so, she, she already knows success. Start yeah. with start with Patrick and everything. <laughs> it's all up from there. And it'll all just fall right in line for you. My so, mom, by the way, I grew up with the name Patrick, right? And because I was doing magic tricks, she, <laughs> my mom had the notion that my stage name should be P.A. Trick. And, <laughs> and I was like, Mom, that sounds like a urology joke. You know, like I'm not, I'm not doing that. That's pretty. That's pretty creative, though. So, so you know, talk about the. I, I, I'm curious because I'm from the Midwest. I'm in Ohio. I, I, you know, I'm still trying to figure out how to escape. But you know, in in growing up in the Midwest, you know, it's it's. Um, how do I say this? When you're from a small town in the Midwest, in Omaha although it's a good sized town, it's still a small town. Um, how did other, like here you are in high school and you're, you're doing magic tricks and, and comedy in high school. How, how did, how did people, and did you have the thoughts like I'm going to LA you guys. So like, no, actually, you know, at that time, to be honest, like anything a kid does, if they're a great musician or anything, I was a bit of a show off because I learned these card tricks that had a secret right so right. i was a, i was a super nerd like my i was i had stringy hair that was parted on the side and you know you wouldn't want to be around me but what what made me uh fit into all the groups was that they wanted to show their friends they're like oh come do that trick for my friend oh have them pick uh, a card oh and I, I literally i started with another guy who was another comedy nerd and i learned a magic trick where you would you could disappear a coin in your hands right it's yeah. called the French drop. And I got really good at it. So what was funny was that Mike, who taught me the thing, and I got better at it really quickly, he would stand behind the person and I would make the coin disappear. And in the in the process, I would toss it to him and he would take the money and go buy lunch or milk or something, right? So he and I literally got our lunch money every day by doing this coin <laughs> trick over and over to people. <laughs> Oh, and, yeah. and it was, that was almost like we were street survivors, which we didn't have to be as middle-class right. kids in the middle of Omaha. But, <laughs> but my mom packed me a sack lunch and I, I like my mom. I love her, yeah. but yeah. I didn't yeah. like having the same sandwich and apple and something every day. So we literally had to find our own way to pay for our lunch. So that becomes a product of how you, uh, you know, why you do it is for attention, usually when you start in some way. So I I sent away to magic catalogs and got new tricks and got things that got sent from Chicago from a place called Magic Inc. and a place wow. in New York called Lewis Tannen's Magic Catalog. And I would just go through there. Oh, throw a ball of fire out of your lunch sack. Hmm, I think I'll <laughs> and, and you know, most of them most of them were a terrible ripoff. They would come and you're like, what? <laughs> there's a picture, uh, there's a drawing of an animated Merlin throwing a ball of fire out into the sky. And yeah. it was like, it was like a cotton ball soaked in, you know, kerosene that was sitting in a plastic bag inside your lunch sack. And you had to strike a kitchen match. And like, it was never going to happen. But, but the fantasy of, of, of that was very uh, uh, much childhood whimsy and wonder. Yeah. 
and I, I will say this, and this really applies to your to your breakthrough walls philosophy. Yeah. What magic taught me more than anything is that everything is possible. Mm. Because in other professions and in other ideas, everyone's always playing devil's advocate of why you can't do something. Right. They're saying, yeah, but yeah, I don't, but I don't have the money. I don't in magic, you already presume that it's possible. Okay, I'm gonna float the lady. Oh, I'm going to saw a person in half. Like, it's ridiculous that you start from a presumption that, yes, okay, I'm going to float a person. Now, what method am I going to use? You just you just say, oh, are we going to do hydraulics or a sawhorse or a thing or whatever? You, you know, you just start searching for, well, strings would show. Oh, this would happen. Oh, helium underwear isn't a thing. You know, whatever, whatever you think. But... But it is a it is about starting from possibility, and I I believe the I same the same is it works with writing a book. And in fact, the book that I'm currently writing, which I all my life said, oh, I'll write a book, which yeah. I didn't do. I let all kinds of things get in the way. Yeah, um, was that we we question what do we have to say that anybody will read? Like, why does it matter that I'm writing? Like, you're you're using a sort of self sabotaging method to procrastinate. Yeah. yeah. So I think that whether it's a book or a movie or a sitcom or anything that you do, you have to understand that uh, many idiots have done this before you. Like, you know, <laughs> it's, you no, know, you, you know, it's my approach is, is about like cliff diving. People don't talk about cliff diving, right? They yeah. cliff dived. They, if you don't jump off the cliff, you're not a cliff diver, right? And if you survive, yeah. then you're a cliff diver. But if you don't, you're not, right? But I think the thing is, is taking that leap of faith and having some passion and purpose and putting everything into it is ultimately the journey that you want to be on. So my book is actually, I got a subtitle of, of a procrastinator's guide to writing a book, B-O-O, right? I don't finish the word. What are people writing here? Bradley says bazooka bubblegum magic tricks were the best. I remember them too. Oh my yeah. God. Also you those jokes. I used to read those little jokes in there too. You know, I, I'm sitting here thinking about if you took a kerosene fireball to school today, the FBI would show up. There's so many things. You can hardly take a sharpened pencil to school, right? You know, I know. I mean, why would you even do that? You've got your calculator on your iPhone. I think about what what we had to do to cheat at a math thing is oh my god you remember you had a peachy folder you remember that thing you could open up and there was a little chart yep. up in the back corner and it only yep. went to 144 so <laughs> if it was more than 12 times 12 you were screwed <laughs> oh my god i remember yeah. that holy crap but that was also that's where i be, learned how to draw because on the outside of that were these athletes playing yeah. tennis and shooting bass and, and you would doodle and you would make those people do some crazy thing. And, um, yeah. you know, and Bruce and, Jenner was on the front of, of Wheaties. Yeah, you're right. When he, when he, when he was still Bruce Jenner. That's but right. Like, yeah. I was and Pluto was still a planet at that time. <laughs> now Pluto has gone to being not a planet to being a dwarf planet to being whatever, like, like even my education is not even relevant. I know. It's yeah. like all of that stuff I learned is useless now. Thanks. So, but, so and my kids, by the way, I don't know how I became the guy that when I used to ask my mom how to spell something, she'd say, look it up. Right. Yeah. 
and I would have to go dutifully look it up. And it was always some weird word where, you know, it, it, it didn't sound the way you couldn't even find the word. Right. right. She'd say yeah. all words aren't spelled phonetically. And I said, what do you mean by that? And she'd say, <laughs> look that up. But you know, I'd go through the F's and there's no phonetically. Right. So, but I grew up as a kid who had to look things up. Now I have kids of my own and I'm the guy where my kids say, Google it dad. Like I get no help my entire life. You know, it's, did you guys, did you have the encyclopedia Britannica? Of course we did. I mean, do you remember the salesman that came and sold your mom and dad? And I remember it, man. I was like, oh my God, we're going to freaking have the world's knowledge sitting right. on our shelves and, and tests and, and, and school reports right. are going to be easier. And, right. and I remember I, taking the, I would take like the M encyclopedia into the bathroom, right? <laughs> when I go to the bathroom and I was like, oh, there's a lot of interesting M things or whatever. <laughs> but, but here's the funny thing. It's still on my mom's shelf now. Oh my and God. nothing in it is relevant. It's like the countries in Russia have changed. The you know, it's like uh, it's like oh, Prussia. Let's read about that. No, it's not around <laughs> anymore, Mom. Like, like get rid of that. And and she doesn't really understand that Google has sort of replaced yeah. it. You know, it's but the great. the greatest pages were the anatomy pages where <laughs> they were transparent, like you could see the workings of the body. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my God, that's so funny! And now I have the I have the Alexa sitting here on my desk that I, I, anything I want to know, she turns my lights off and on for me. So. Right. Anyway, you ever have a situation where uh, Alexa and Siri argue and you're left in the lurch? <laughs> Not yet. Thank I'm, God. Yeah. Thank God. So so so. Um, at what point, so you were, here you were in high school, you get out of high school. Did you end up going to college? I, I did. I always say for 90 days, same as cash, because I, I, I grew up with a comedy group in high school. We were literally high school seniors and everybody was kind of a, a screw off, but we, we harnessed that energy by creating this. It was more of a comedy fraternity. It was called, it was called Tri Kappa Stooge which was like a nod to the three stooges. Now we didn't do physical, you know, wacky stuff, but yeah. we did sketches and, you know, we were like, can we do the entire wizard of Oz in under five minutes or whatever? Like we would <laughs> do all the highlights and so forth. So we were very young. We were just out of high school when we, we were able to go to a comedy club and we went, it was one day a week on Sundays and it was a bar. So we couldn't go in the front door. They would let us in through the stock room Oh onto stage, we do our routine and we go out the stock room, which of course is full of liquor, but right. they weren't thinking, but, yeah. um, but we made $5 or something, but yeah. what we got was a forum every Sunday night, we got a place to do new sketches. So all week we'd go, Oh, let's, let's do a prison, um, you know, yard sketch. Oh, let's do a, whatever it was. We would, we would come up with some ideas. And part of that was because Saturday night live had come into come into focus. And we were all yeah. like, we could do something like that. Couldn't we, you know, and again, it was, uh, yeah. most of those people have gone on to other things as comics or writers or acting professors. And, you know, I, I, I consider that early uh, Algonquin round table in Omaha to have been something that made us compete with each other yeah. to come up with new ideas, to bring something to the table. And that that's really how we began to create was, what do you have? What, what what ideas do you have? This, this friend of mine, Mike, who I've mentioned before, um, he wasn't really a, a, a writer or a magician or whatever, but I needed an Ed McMahon, 
right? I needed a sidekick. <laughs> so, so we did it early on. We did an act called Pat and Mike, a romantic comedy. And Mike did nothing. Mike just stood at a mic and commented on my act. And then I would, you know, make fun of him and he would make fun of me. And people love that relationship. And that's when I understood how to write in dialogue, which was different than writing in a monologue. So, so you, I mean, didn't you, didn't you feel silly? (laughs) I mean, getting up on stage and and at a bar and. Um, not, not really. I didn't, I don't think silly. I really felt liberated because I feel like what's interesting to me about any kind of expression and for your audience, we're probably talking to people that are speakers or experts in some field or a book author or whatever. It's about expression. How do they write that book? They had a story to tell. They had something to say, right? So a songbird doesn't sing because it has a song. It has something to express, right? It's, it's the morning, the sun's coming out something, right? And it happens to do it in a way that's very attractive and makes us feel good and so forth. But it's, but it's communicating to the other birds and the animals and to itself. So in, in, in many ways, um, you know, I liked ma- working on magic tricks because they were riddles to solve. They were something to figure out. And then the idea of keeping a secret um, was uh, really to protect what it was I was doing because yeah. I could do it for longer. I could do it for more people if I didn't spoil it, if I didn't tell yeah. people about it. Wow. But anyway, I, I feel like that was uh, silly wasn't, uh, you know, my concern. <laughs> Uh, it would have been mine. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just I'm projecting my feelings on. So I, I can't imagine getting on stage, and you know, I I mean I think I'm funny sometimes. Um, I can't imagine getting getting on stage, and 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 really trying to make people laugh for a live. I can't I can't even fathom that. Well, there's two things. There's a risk to reward, you know, chart. Yeah, And the risk feels big till you start getting the laughs. The reward right. becomes greater than the risk. Like I've done things, tremendously unfunny things, thinking <laughs> they might be funny. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, in fact, when Mike and I used to do that early act, I would go, this would be great, Mike. You get a couple of uh, beer mugs and we'll tie them on a string and you wear them around your neck and you come out and you're a little embarrassed. And then I tell everybody uh, Mike's, embarrassed about his new glasses and you know it was stupid it was really terrible but it's like come on they don't look that bad you know whatever. and i just tried to sell this bit and we still laugh about it after the fact that we thought this was gonna be <laughs> the most hilarious like steve martin moment of all times but yeah the thing is it is about taking the jump you take yeah. that leap and and to put it in some business term hey doug wing there's doug that's the latter guy. Everybody yeah. knows that. I love Doug. I think it's ironic the name Wing and the ladders. Like people aren't going up then jumping off like Superman <laughs> with the Wing family behind that invention. Um, but uh, oh my god! Yeah, no, I I feel like the risk is what it's all about in in just about everything you take. So yeah. so when Warren Buffett invests in something, he's not taking a risk. It feels like it is, but he does his research and he looks into a company and he finds out who's managing it. And so for him, putting a bunch of money into a, a thing, it's it's not as much of a gamble as it is if you know nothing. If you're if you if you're just 
have fear of something, but if you're willing to do research and think about it and plug into something, yeah, it's, it's, you're making an early investment. And I think the same came with writing and so forth. You're not going to write everything. It's going to be great, but it's yours to own. You can edit it later. You can rewrite yep. it. You can do, but if you don't ever put that clay on the potting wheel, you'll never know if you're going to make a lamp or a vase or an ashtray. Right. And yep. I think people get afraid creatively that their, their perfection sets in, or what are people going to think of me? And that, that, that's the wrong hat to wear when you start developing content. You got to, I, I totally agree. Totally agree. What, what is, so, so you were in, you were in college for one quarter. Is that right? Or, uh, it was a year and a half. Oh, okay. And, and so, so you were maybe 19 and yeah, 19, 20 something. And I got to tell you, it, where did it, it go from there? Well, it, uh, it wasn't that I wasn't interested in being educated, but it wasn't fun. And, and I had some classes, like I had a political science class and why I don't know, like I didn't, <laughs> wasn't my interest, but it yeah. was sort of, you know, they tell you, you have to take these things and so forth. And I remember in that I had a very unfair situation, which was the professor had written the textbook that we were working from. So you talk about not being able to like copy oh. your book report, like the guy, the dude's going to know if you're using his words in <laughs> your thing. So I didn't take any interest in the book. So oh my we God. had one of these, I don't know what those tests are called, but it was where you're like, you have to write one answer, like the whole half hour. It's like an essay response to one question. And uh, he wrote something about boundary waters, about, you know, apparently there's a place, international boundary waters, where when a ship goes out past a certain point and so forth, I have no idea anything about it. All I know is I spent the half hour writing a comic essay about what happens when the fish crosses the boundary water. What's, <laughs> is it the country of origin or is the person that catches the fish? Oh do they, do they get there? You know, the, whatever. So I, I went on and on because I didn't really have any idea. So I just thought, well, I'll, I'll write a, a monologue. So I did that. <laughs> the guy comes back the next day to pass the tests out. And it's one of those, you know, not goodwill hunting, but one of those moments where, where the teacher's got to make an example of me. Right. Oh, so God. people get their tests back and they were blue books, right? It was written on a. Oh, I just lost, I lost your audio. Something happened. That's that's crazy. It just completely went out. Um, wow, it was perfect. Maybe uh, refresh the page real fast. It'll kick you out, but you can come right back in. Yeah, I, I can't. I, I lost you. May, refresh, refresh the browser page real fast. See if that helps. Can you can you hear me? Uh oh. I can't hear. I can't hear you. Um. I have no idea what you're saying. You can't hear me. 
That is crazy. I don't know what just happened. Well, that was um, actually going really well. I don't know what just happened with the audio there. Can you guys still hear me? Those those of you that are still watching, can you hear me okay? Can Just let me know if you can hear me still. Oh, okay, Doug. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I don't know what happened there. Um, and I don't know. I couldn't hear what he was saying, so I don't know if he's he's coming back. Oh, I'm, I, can you hear me? Yeah, I don't know what happened. That was crazy. I mean, it was just like you were talking and it was I, gone. I have a filter. When my stories get too good, it shuts down. <laughs> you know, I find... It's a funny filter and you know, it's, it says, save this for the show. You know, <laughs> don't give this away for Ken walls. He's already breaking walls down. Oh, I'm going, it, I want to be on the glass ceiling show is what I want to be. On. <laughs> um, I did see while I was gone there, Lisa Patrick sent a compliment about the, uh, um, the podcast. And again, yeah. if there's any kind of, um, hard sell on this show. It is only to give it a try, right? Sure. It's, it's on all the platforms that the kids are listening to. And even though Ken, I love when you said, I don't, I'm not a po podcast person. People have neighbors have said that to me as if I was selling drugs. They're like, <laughs> Oh, I don't, I don't do podcasts. You know, I go, well, it's just a thing you, you can listen to in your car. No, no, no. You know, it's like if they get hooked on it, it may, it may become a problem and then they're going to lose their family and their job, you know, <laughs> go down that podcast black rabbit hole. Don't, right? don't need, don't need my car repossessed because I listen to your podcast. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that they're coming after you. No, but it is interesting that, that what I learned about it is that it is a medium that people do listen to on commuting, but they also listen to it when they exercise, whether they're biking or, you know, Oh, my, my wife, that's my wife. <laughs> I like how she has to communicate with you through this. She can't talk to you in the house. It's the only time we talk is when I'm on my show. Well, and Jill, it's it's called Creativity in Captivity, <laughs> and that's the commercial right there. Um, yeah, there it is. But it is uh, it's on every it's on Pandora and Audible and Google and Apple and so forth. And we are blessed with quite a few snappy reviews on apple so if you don't trust me to tell you about my thing kind of like when my mom used to say take the taste this i think it's spoiled um you know <laughs> what why would you do that mom that if you already think the milk is bad why would you put it in my mouth <laughs> what the you never had anybody do that? Yes. It's, it's brutal i know it's, it's like i don't mind making you my poison tester <laughs> But anyway, it is really, really an interesting, uh, fun uh, thing. And it's very candid and informal. There it is. Thank you. Yes. Kellen Thank Ann. You, Kellen. She Kellen, sent me Bob. a beautiful card uh, that she had recreated this logo and cut it all the different colors out. Dude, um, I have I have it right oh. down there. I have one of her. She, Yeah, she's awesome. I love Kellen. She's amazing. Yep. Plus, I have another one up here that my wife bought for me for Christmas from her. So, by the way, kudos to you. I saw your Father's Day pictures or something. I don't know if you posted it or Jill posted it, but your daughter looks like she's thriving from the kind of parenting you're providing, which also takes a lot of creativity. 
She's um, incredibly creative, especially good. when she wants something. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and you know what I, what I look in that, that actually is a great segue into, into what we were talking about because you know, it, I think that becoming a successful entrepreneur, um, it does require that childlike mind that, that cre we, a lot of adults lose that and they get too damn serious about life. And, 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 you know, I, I just think that it, that's required to, to really, to really do something and have fun. Right. But school teaches us to take the play out of our life. I I'm not a, against the education system, but when they say get serious or do this or learn these, uh, <laughs> I see that. <laughs> The, the, here's the short end. I will I will wrap up the blue book story, Kellen. Thank you for the request. This is the all request weekend. Um, uh, is the caller there? Yes. Oh, blue book punchline. Um, what happened was uh, this guy drops everybody's grades in front of him. Everybody who got a oh yeah passing grade, and then he holds mine back, and he said somebody here didn't take this assignment seriously. And I don't appreciate it. And I'm going to ask that person to come to the front of the room and read their response, which was the absolutely wrong thing for this guy to do. <laughs> because now, not only did I waste time writing it, I get to deliver the monologue to the class. <laughs> and, and I begin to say that, um, that, do the stuff about the fish and <laughs> its family and so forth. And I mentioned, you know, oh, the unknown God. soldier and I do all kinds of, and they're laughing and he now knows he's made a fatal mistake of giving me the classroom. So he oh my cuts me off in the middle of the, of the, of the thing and says, go out, go outside, sit in the hallway oh until my it's God. over. And then we're going to talk about this. And I'm like, why am I it's going great? <laughs> but anyway, it was definitely a, Oh my um, God. That is so funny. Yes, but I, but that now let me just wrap back into to what we were talking about kids and your daughter because yeah. one of the things that kids do that is a very important thing to hang on to is that from when kids are little babies when they want something they make it known. I want a cookie, yeah. cookie, cookie, cookie. I want give me cookie, 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 cookie. They just don't stop. They don't. Now stop. I'm not saying be persistent as a business person. Don't you know? Don't buy my stuff. Buy my stuff. Buy my stuff. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is there's clarity in what you're after. Yeah. I want a cookie, and then I, what do I have to do? Pull drawers out to climb to the counter to get to the cookie jar. Like you proceed to find it. But when you get a little bit older, college, and a little after, everything is framed in I don't want. What do you want on your pizza? I, anything but anchovies. Anything but olives, anything you're, you're not any closer to getting a pizza that you want. You're getting all of the things you don't want on yeah. a list. And I feel like that's the, one of the great problems is when people didn't start talking about a job. Well, I'll tell you what, anything but food service, I'm not going to bartend. I'm not going to, they're making a list of things they won't do. And it puts them no closer. But when I started in anything that I did, if I was going to write a play or whatever, I always started with a declarative sentence. I'm going to write a play by Christmas or I'm going to learn to juggle five by my birthday or I'm going to whatever. Right. And, right. and therefore you're setting goals that are, are dreams with a deadline because that becomes a very important part of the process is not just say someday I'm gonna right. Yeah. Someday yeah. I'm gonna is nothing, but yeah. if you're, and, and it doesn't matter if you have to change it, it's like a budget. You know, if you have to 
if you miss the deadline and you have to work a little harder. But when you start to make a time budget for yourself, how am I going to achieve that by Friday or by December or by the time I'm 50? You begin to start to see, oh, I have to put increments of time together to accomplish my my goal. And yeah. it's it's it changes everything when you make a commitment to something. You keep looking at like, well, someday, like somehow the the lottery, somebody's going to knock on your door and say, hey, we need a screenplay right away. No, they're not going to do that. No. You know? No. So, so, so you, you ended up and Lisa Patrick says she's got Pat Hazel on, on her slice of pizza. So mm, that's interesting. Did <laughs> I autograph some pizza for you at one time? So, so you, you ended up a year and a half into college. You leave. Did, is that when you were like, I'm, I'm going to LA? I mean, how, no, how did that I, happen? here's what happened. I, <laughs> I was dabbling in stage time in other places, again, with a comedy magic act that was fairly polished. So what was interesting about having the tricks was I had a routine. It didn't matter how the comedy went. At the end, if I found their card or if I restored the piece of rope, it yeah. really gave me some structure to live within. Yeah. And so then I would stack up my rope trick and my card trick and my the trick with the bra and the trick with the something, right? I had all this right. stuff. Right, right. And... uh and that gave me an act. And once I had an act, I was able to be an opening act for people. And I started getting calls when I was in Omaha. I would get a call to come to Des Moines, you know, to open for Sheena Easton or to open for uh, Paul Revere and the Raiders or, you know, what? somebody. So wow. wh whoever there was, there was somebody, right? So what was funny was uh, Rodney Dangerfield came to Omaha and they had a contest to have an opening act. Uh, and there was a guy who was already an opening act who was not supposed to be there, but he showed up. So they let me open for the guy who opened for Roger Dangerfield. Wow. Yeah. And and I got a taste of that idea. And I thought, wait, this is where my education needs to be. I need to do as much of this as I can. So I began to go to conferences, magic conventions, juggling conventions, any, there's a sub thing for everything. And I would yeah. go and I, my basic trick was if I went to a juggling convention and I'm not a great, I wasn't a good enough juggler, I would be the magician at the jugglers convention. And if I was at a magic convention, I would juggle and tell jokes, right? Like I was always sort of the one flavor they needed. Yeah on their show that wasn't like a hundred magicians and so forth. So I got to learn a little bit about a lot of different ancillary did, arts. Did you, did you have an agent or were you just like, just no, I, I will say this. I, I was, I was my own agent of not wanting to do hard labor. And so like <laughs> one time in high school, I helped these, this, these people were putting in a tennis court behind their house on a hill. And yeah. so they couldn't get the cement truck back there. So we carried buckets of cement oh. down the stairs and poured them on this, whatever for a full day until my arm sockets and everything. And I was like, I'm never in my lifetime going to work this hard. <laughs> I got to figure out how to get out of this. It was, a, it was the Tom Sawyer school of education. Oh I've got to find a different thing to do. Right. So I went about doing all this other stuff. And one of the things that I came up with when I was in Omaha was uh, doing card tricks, table to table in restaurants, sort of at the happy hour or to turn the tables over. And I worked at the spaghetti works. I went in and convinced them 
the first thing is I said, I'll do the first night for free. You can see how it goes sort of thing. And I went from table to table. They got a good response. So I was able to then work every Thursday for years at that spaghetti works. And I, and they paid me an hourly rate, which was pretty pleasant, but also yeah. I got a pile of tips and I would do tricks. I did a trick with a dollar bill that I borrowed the, from the person or a five or something. And I would make it fly around the restaurant and they, they would go, really? And, and I would go, yeah. And I would fold some quarters into it and I would throw it up in the air and it would stick to the ceiling, which was like 30 feet up. And I'd go, ah. Anyway, this when you look up, there were hundreds of dollars stuck on the ceiling. Oh my! And it was a great piece of advertising because even when I wasn't there, people would go, "Why is all that money on the ceiling?" They go, "Well, you have to talk to the guy on Thursday," and they would come back, and oh they, they didn't know it was their money. And then once a month, I'd come, and the janitor and I would scrape all the money off the ceiling, and I'd give him his percentage. You know? Oh my! That's God. when I could have used the Doug Doug Wing ladder. Uh, <laughs> I, I was a little late. I could have used that a long time ago. Oh my gosh. But see, that's what that that's creative. That's what people need to, to listen to that because you got really creative in your, but the desire, right? Napoleon Hill talks about the desire. Your desire was there to, to, to do something with this whole magic and, 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 and you started getting really creative to achieve that desire. Well, that was the art part and which important as an artist to have that, yeah. but also the business part kicked in, which was yeah. once I was settled at the spaghetti works on Thursday, I felt, Oh, this is a transferable piece of information. I went to Gallagher's and said, I'll do Fridays at your night at whatever. And I bumped it up $5 an hour and yeah. I got going there. So I was doing Friday at Gallagher's. Now, once I had two competing business wow. folks, I was able later to say to the spaghetti works, well, I could work Gallagher's Thursdays and Fridays uh, unless you want to kind of bump it up a little, right, to stay here. Oh, no, we want to. And I would do that, and then I would wow. go to a different restaurant on Thursday or, or on Saturday. Yeah. So I had three days a week where I was leveraging everybody. And then on Sunday, I'd go to the comedy club, and I'd work out new material. Wow. So, you know, that was creating a forum, you know, yeah. a, a workout place for myself because you do have to have stage time you have yeah. to have a live audience practicing in front of a mirror uh, as you know as a speaker or anything like yeah. that you know it, it's it's not graduation day you really oh. you learn everything once you're talking to an audience yeah so you end up so at some point <clears throat> i cannot believe we've been on here 46 minutes feels like five minutes at, at some point you ended up in and you're you start jumping around the country doing different different comedy clubs and but you ended up in LA I know you know you eventually ended up as were you a senior writer on Seinfeld is that what you were? well I don't know if you called anybody a senior writer but I was on the early side of it Larry David and Jerry wrote the pilot and then I did come in as one of the original writers wow. uh, with, a, with a partner named Matt Goldman. And he and I had written a play, which was our sample. We wrote a play called The Bunk Bed Brothers, which was about two brothers stuck in their childhood bedroom. Uh, tr you know, as adults, they had to spend yeah. the night. And it was just an all-night bull session full of jokes mm. and tricks and yeah. Nerf basketball games and acting out sound effects records. Just a crazy showcase of our talent essentially that made no sense, but what it was as a spec script, it was an example of a lot of comedy per square inch. 
that particular um, script was sent to Castle Rock when Jerry and Larry were looking for supporting writers. And he and I got the first two jobs on the show. At that time, it was called the Seinfeld Chronicles before it went on the air. That was the, the wow. original title. And I'll tell you what, I learned a lot in their presence and they were learning as they went. Uh, Larry had had some experience on Fridays and Saturday Night Live and so forth, but they had never really created a sitcom and 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 watching and learning um, really important things. For example, Jerry uh, would say to me, you know, let's write to ourselves as the audience. We have to write a show that we would want to watch. Whether or not we want to be like these other shows on TV, what's going to keep our attention? Which was really important. It was about a point of view of who likes the kind of stuff we like. Try to find our niche audience, right? Um, when I later wow. wrote a, a sitcom of my own, he told me that your job is to uh, lose sleep over. You have to have the idea that you're willing to lose sleep over and 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 work on it. Whether people uh, at the network like it or don't like it, you have to be willing to do that and also sink on your own ship. He said, you know, be the captain of that ship, sail it with pride. If it goes into the water, you will not regret it. If you board somebody else's ship and you don't believe in it, if you don't think that show's going to be good and whatever, and it sinks, you'll you'll hate yourself for having taken that journey. So that those were really important words, you know, to wow. sink on your own ship to me because I thought, yeah. oh, okay, well, I'm into nostalgia. I like retro material. I like talking about growing up. I like talking about the Midwest and the holidays mm. and road trips and you know, the, the terrible Halloween costume and all of riding in the back of the country square wagon, you know, all of those kinds of things yeah. to me, they're just yeah. life moments. Yeah. But I found that when I put them in a show called The Wonder Bread Years and started sharing it with the audience, that my own family slideshow was somewhat universal. It was something that you would see your family in, you would see your vacation in, you would see, and 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 all of those stories aren't so far from the truth. And that became a really nice place to be authentic within my humor, as opposed to writing randomly about airplane food or whatever stuff I used to do on monologues on the tonight show, but observing wow. things, observing things typically is what I learned from Jerry was in every situation that you do, when you learn to ride a horse, when you eat a hot piece of pizza, when you, whatever, there's a story in it. There is something unique to the way you see it. Um, yeah. And, and that also then it wasn't that I did things to get material. I just became conscious of, my, um, what was I feeling at the time? What did it look like? What did it taste like? How did this happen? When I was, uh, uh, engaged, I was in Hawaii and I learned to ride a horse on the corner of a king size bed the night before, like she was an avid horse rider and I didn't ride horses. She signed us up for some expert ride. I go, I, I don't even know how to get on a horse. So, oh so I sat on the corner of the bed holding a camera strap bouncing and and i was like this isn't a horse like a horse is gonna know i can't ride it you know uh, and to her she, say? she thought it was no she's like no you need the basics i'm like <laughs> and then i'll tell you what the next day i was on a on a horse named joe montana that could neither run nor you know throw it was like it was it knew it went out in the middle of a pineapple field and scratched its belly you know and i was like what everyone else was like yeah. Riding on the beach and I was stuck in the middle of a pineapple field, but, but I, I have no regrets 
that the experience allowed me to see it through a comic lens. And, and I feel like that's all of my upbringing is that way. My, um, commentary, you've been sort of following me a little bit on Facebook and other things, but, but I, I try to stay true to the moment of time. So during the pandemic, which was a little more, um, you know, it wasn't to me, it wasn't appropriate to send pictures of a salad or make jokes about yeah. bookmarks or something. It was a little mm -hmm. bit more about being present and being significant. Mm -hmm. Like to me, that was the success of guiding my friends and, and, and folks through what I was seeing creatively. So, so, <clears throat> and we're friends on Facebook. I, I, I don't know how long we've been friends now for a little bit. Um, and, and did you just say that the wonder bread years were, that was your show? Well, now you may be, you may be thinking the wonder years, which was Are, the popular sitcom, the wonder years. Didn't right. you say when I wrote my own sitcom? Yeah, no, I wrote a sitcom called American pie, which also was not the movie American pie, oh. but, but <laughs> I'm really good at titles that sound like they were successful. <laughs> um, the wonder bread years was meant to be a nod to the wonder years. Oh, in got it. Right. But okay. I'll tell you what, it is it is something that I still do at performing arts centers around the country. Like I'm headed to Minnesota right after 4th of July to do six shows of the Wonder Bread years. And wow. it is, it's, it's a live 90-minute one-man show. And there are clips of it, I'm sure, on, on the YouTube, as the kids say. Um, if you want to, you know, get on your Google box and or get on your Blackberry or Blueberry or whatever the kids are using. <laughs> oh, this is how my mom talks. So I, I, I'm becoming my mom. But um, in fact, she Thank said you. to me, I listened to the first two episodes of your pop cast. She said. <laughs> uh, Go mom. Yeah, I she's good. That. She's also I hilarious. I have to say, she doesn't know she's funny. But when I used to first go on morning radio shows and stuff to do interviews, yeah, I would I would go there. It'd be you know daybreak essentially, and um, they would you know callers would call to get tickets or something, and the guy goes, "Hey, we've got a caller," and it would be my mom, and she'd say, "Listen, when you're done with this thing, can you pick up some syrup because your dad's gonna have pancakes." I was like, "Mom, this isn't an intercom system. Like, this is supposed to be for people." <laughs> Who are curious want to win a ticket or something? Oh, oh, uh, you're too big to get syrup. Oh, was like, you know, and that would all be part of the show. I wouldn't be surprised if she figures out how to get on this show and ask oh, for, you know, some kind of, you know, ham. Well, or something. I, I, you can tell your mom she. I'd, I, I'll interview your mom someday. <laughs> Hear her side of the story. I'm gonna. Yeah. I don't know who. I don't see any of the chat stuff popping up that you might see, but I do want to thank the ones that have been early uh, subscribers to the to the podcast because it yeah. is the little engine that could. We we were busy getting it up. Uh, oh, somebody had a Torino station wagon. Doug that, Wang. Yeah. Oh yeah. Did that yeah. have the sort of faux wood <laughs> paneling on the side? <laughs> kind of the wainscoting. Yeah. Uh, so tragedy and humor are different sides of the same coin. Yes. And they also say tragedy plus time equals comedy. So mm -hmm. don't make fun of the, you know, the uh, Lincoln assassination while you're in the theater, right? Like that's <laughs> the wrong time, you know? So like, you mean like, Oh yes. Um, I love so that. Other... That's a good one. Wes Wyatt's funny. He <clears throat> says my movie apocalypse now and then. Yes. That's all I do is I just 
I kind of give it the uh, what's his name the did uh, the, the twist right? The, yeah. the, I change from <laughs> beat it to eat it. That's all I need to do to make a big hit. Uh, you're you're weird Al. Yeah, <clears throat> I'm so, weird Al again. You know, think, I, I I you I don't know why, but I'm going back to to I'm thinking about. Um, when we uh, when we were kids, the Casey Kasem, like you know, when when you wanted to hear your favorite song, you had to wait, like there, was, or go by the album and pray to God that your little brother didn't scratch the crap out of it, and <laughs> you know, like I mean, it was way different than is. No, today. you totally had to be patient. In fact, I would say I don't remember where I read it. Probably a meme in the last week or something but that you can't expect to plant the seed and eat the fruit on the same day. Right. Right. I don't know. You know, it was something that I saw, you know, yeah. but I thought, you know, that is an interesting situation, which was, I feel like a lot of my creative endeavors came from being bored as a kid or looking for something to stimulate so forth. So it wasn't something that, um, I think that we are losing that moment where imagination comes to life because of having a phone that feeds us so much and we can stay busy, like being bored in line at the DMV to get your picture taken had some value. You were thinking about things right now. Mm -hmm. You can totally get lost in your inbox or you can do something. And you always have this fight or flight response that these texts need to be, Oh, I've got to get back to that. Oh, I got to do this. And so you're, you're sort of on a treadmill of constant information. So yeah, imagine if your grandfather, who who once a day might walk to the mailbox to get his mail, imagine if that mailbox was approaching him, like coming at him everywhere. That's that's what's happening is that we're yeah. this just in, this just in, this just in, like you know, it's nonstop. Yeah, I mean, I've I've written with some musical folks where we've written songs or whatever, and I just say to them, here's the rule: phones off, turn them off. We'll look at them at eleven o'clock. We'll take a break. We'll check our text. But you can't just go, oh, I'll just, every so often, I'll just interrupt this creative flow with, you know, whatever the gobbledygook is that, the, you know, people need. And especially when you add, uh, you know, announcements from Twitter or Facebook or something, it's it's the killer of creativity is it that, really, is distractions. You know? It really is. <clears throat> I don't want to keep you all day here, but I, I we can go over if you're okay with it. I don't know what your schedule's like. Well, but, at the moment, I'm good. So it's up okay. to you. Is there... Uh, is, couple, are there any salient questions from folks that really and and by the way depends on I, it? I should have told you this up front um if you look to the right of Streamyard up at the top you'll see public comments or uh, live comments up there you can click on that and you can you can see all the comments ah okay good i yeah. i was on private chat yeah so yeah i see all right yeah so so um you know let me ask you this because i know it hasn't been you know, all rainbows and unicorns for you. You know, I mean, you, you, you're, you, you end up in LA. I, I'm sure you were still fairly young at the, when you, when you got to LA, um, how, what do you think the number one thing is, um, that holds people back in life from, from, ex and the number one answer to this question is fear, by the way. So you have to, you have to do better, but holds people back from financial success, happiness, all of that. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I agree with you that fear is a big obstacle, Yeah. but you are the master of the fear. You are the warden that 
hangs that fear over yourself. So I, as much as I also psychologically, it's probably the number one answer that you are your own worst enemy. I think that it rings true for many different reasons that I don't deserve this or I, whatever, you know, and some of that is projected upon us when parents or spouses or somebody doesn't approve or doesn't think you're doing it right or whatever. And, and we begin to buy into that. It's not necessary. It's, it's a subversive thing, but also I think, you know, um, I know people who are <laughs> tremendously too, um, they, they give themselves credit for everything. I just pooped. It's a sculpture. It's like, no, it's not a sculpture. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I wish I had the freedom to feel like everything I did was great, but I think that there's a balance between the two. And I think that giving yourself permission to do anything, to fail, to whatever, you know, um, risk is risk is uh, equated to fear, right? Yeah. Because fear is about the unknown. And, and that's the thing about both success and failure is what's going to happen to me if, right? What, how is that going to impact me? Maybe I don't want that. Maybe I don't, maybe I'm not ready for this part of it, maybe whatever, but I don't know. I feel like going back to where we talked about finding your voice, that includes the idea that it's okay. Like I don't have to be the prettiest person to be the most attractive, right? Uh, if, If your confidence is there, if you're smart intellectually, I wish in our society, there was a way for people to see brains instead of beauty, right? Yeah. I think it's fantastic that people have advantages for different reasons and all that kind of privilege. But, and it is true, we don't go to the grocery store and pick out the bruised fruit as the first thing we want. But I think that when you start to find that it's the sweetest or this is the whatever, you begin to have relationships that are different. You have a, yeah. you have a deeper connection. What, what I am really trying to do with this podcast is offer value, have conversations with creative people that can tell us how to reduce that risk. How do we get rid of that fear? What do we do? Because it, it changes. We get a little bit older. Now we're afraid of aging, right? Or we're afraid of, uh, uh, you know, putting on weight or we're afraid of this kinds of, what's, what does this mean? But I think yeah. fixing your core is a little bit about seeing that each time you take a little bit of a risk, you don't die. It doesn't kill you. And yep. and I feel like what, what I've learned the most over the last 20 years is not to worry about the industry's approval. You know, if the comedy central people don't think I'm funny, that doesn't mean I'm not funny to the people that want to see my kind of show, or maybe I'm not edgy enough, or I maybe not this. So whenever you try to be what they want, then you're not also being what you Right. And that's, that really makes an author, a speaker, all that authentic part of it is so important. And, and, you know, being in the backyard looking for four leaf clovers when opportunity knocks is a bad, you know, situation. So I always say move towards the epicenter of where your dreams are. If you want to do something and you're not good at it, get closer to it, be in a, circle of those people, listen to that music, read that book, find out where those the places are, because you'll find that in any subculture that when you hang around enough, when you're an intern at a thing, you're eventually you're running the radio station, right? Yep. Because you're where you want to be. Um, wow. I mean, that that's, that's all it is about proximity because 
somebody always needs help with something. The next thing you know, you're driving them. They say, oh, I don't want to make coffee. Yeah, but you'll find out. Now you're in the room where the people are talking about how the, you know, like Hamilton says, in the room where it happened. You have to be there. And then you can decide how much you want from that and how much you don't want from it, right? You get perspective. Yeah. Here, Dennis says, I love this. It's what Milton Berle said. If if opportunity doesn't knock, build a door. No, that's a good one. I like yeah. that one, Dennis. Yeah, yeah, thank you. That is so amazing, man. You just you spouted off about fourteen things back to back that are tweetable, as as Gittimer would say. Wow. <laughs> that, that was that was really powerful. So well, I you. I like to live in that vein, and and again, I yeah. try a little bit in the in the podcast to to bring value out. I try not to ask people about the thing they do that we all know about. To me, if you yeah. can Google it or find it on their website or Wikipedia, it, yeah. then it's not new. But if I say, you know, how, when do you experience imposter syndrome to somebody who's a major success and they're willing to share it, yeah, you go, oh, wait a minute. These people struggle with the same things I struggle with. So it's not so out of the normal. I mean, I feel yeah. like that, that we as creators of content, we face different walls. Some yeah. people have a fear of the blank page. Other people have uh, boundless ideas, but they're afraid they're going to die without getting everything out of them, right? Like th- it, yeah. there's different versions of this. Yeah. And I don't know. I think that, you know, I just feel particularly lucky that, that people have been responding to being guests. Jerry Seinfeld did do this show a few weeks ago. That'll come out, you know, down the line, but also his, his manager and executive producer, George Shapiro, who's 90, who represented Carl Reiner and Andy Kaufman and Jerry and so forth. He tells stories about what it's like to be a person that is supporting that kind of a person. Right. Right. And, um, and we had him on. Yeah. Yeah. He was great. He was great. Now, many of these are still, we've recorded them, but we haven't mastered them yet. Um, And I'm really discovering, you'll see a little bit of a pattern in it, that there are some famous A-list people, but in between them, there are people who are wildly creative and innovative and who are taking this risk every day, who have really valuable information to share. And it, you know, when I talk to Jay Johnson, the ventriloquist, you think, well, what, what is that conversation like for an hour? Well, we didn't talk about it in terms of being a ventriloquist. We talked about it, about writing scenes with two characters. Yeah. And what is the dynamic? And he's casts himself as both characters and they're in a dialogue where they have conflicting emotion and his body is doing one thing on one side and he's concentrating on doing something on the other side, right? There's a, there's something about how to prioritize all of those miniature details. And it's that attention to detail that makes us think that the other person is real <laughs> and that the argument is worthwhile. And right. And so there's something yeah. to me that a screenwriter can learn from that, that an actor can learn from that. So, you know, this guy at his core is a storyteller and he's an extraordinary performer and he's a humorist and he's all of these uh, different segments that happen to embody themselves into this one art form, uh, which, which, you know, when it first came out, when ventriloquism began in France, however many years ago, it was almost looked at as like some kind of Satan, you know, to be able to make an object talk, (laughs) right. You know, he would have been burned at the stake, you know? 
So I don't know. Yeah. I, I find that yeah. stuff. I, that's amazing. I, I, okay. Now I'm sold on your podcast. I'm definitely, well, I'm I know get, you I'm, may end up with some scars and it may, you know, <laughs> I'm going to be lose some my visible house. pain. Yes. Yeah. Well, Jill, here's the thing, Let Jill, you and Jill can listen together and then you'll only each lose half the house. <laughs> we'll definitely be listening to your podcast and I'm trying to get the sign behind you in view there. Oh, Creativity I I, I in captivity with Pat Hazel, um, uh, definitely go over to your favorite podcast platform uh, form and subscribe. Is there a website that I can, um, yes, we what, now what? have a, we have a little advanced website called creativity in captivity dot fun F U N because wow. yes, because not, not because.com was taken. No, Ken, because dot fun is a lot more fun. That's, um, that's pretty awesome. But Creative. it's great. Right now, the first five episodes are uh, are outlined on there, and there's a listen button. But if they are a, if they subscribe on on Apple and they listen to a few episodes, you know, if they have an inkling to write a a review or to share it, this is definitely going to be one of those ones where you and I can look back to where this is one of the very first public announcements of it because I was so busy building it to start. Yeah. I wanted to get it right and to get it in place and to be dropping a new episode every Thursday. Uh, and now we're just starting to get the word out, but we didn't start any big publicity campaign. So as an example of how do you grow something from nothing, you know, it's folks like you and Joe Soto and other folks that, um, that are, you know, this is going to be a great example of we didn't buy our way into it. It's going to be organic growth and it's going to yeah. be, if you're, listeners today subscribe and like it then it's going to unfold and i i'm kind of excited about that because i think it's purpose driven and the we're we're trying to create a a creative community uh that we can you know share this information with each other and everybody yeah. wins at you know no cost so my my wife liked your um half the house joke uh-huh. <laughs> Well, is that I have it right, right? The website creativityincaptivity.fun. Uh, that's right. Okay. And my, my Amanda Amanda Rosenberg, my producer, will uh, be very much like it if people check it out because she's been working really hard behind the scenes. Uh, we we've got some folks coming up. Stephen Pressfield, who wrote the the uh, War of Art, I think is one of his, and uh, also. Wow. Uh, the artist journey and some of those, you know, yeah. we've got some really, really Jason Alexander did, did it. Um, I have this cellist from Atlanta who film scores and she wow. does live looping with her cello. So I challenged her while we were talking for me to describe scenes and for her to translate them emotionally into underscore that. And she does that seven or eight times in the episode, which is wow. like a mini desk concert. <clears throat> That's with, yeah, it's really amazing. And she That's incredible. She tells us how she does it while she's doing it. And and I didn't give her any advance warning. And yes, Jill, Frank Oz is tomorrow. He drops at midnight Eastern time tonight. So where you are in Ohio, you're on Eastern yeah. time, right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, he'll be there for midnight. you tomorrow. And he was really great. He really shines a light on the importance of honesty yeah. in, in directing and acting, that if it's not honest, it's gotta go. Like you gotta really make it honest for it to be, to survive in, if he's directing you. So, wow. Um, yeah. I, I have one, and I was getting ready to end this, but I have one more quick question. 
you've done all i mean dude you've done some i just called you dude sorry but the but you you've by done, the way you're the only one my kids don't even call me dude i'm just a, <laughs> i'm a i'm more of a dud to my kids but so you've done all of these like it's incredible the 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 heights you've reached and and some of the things that you've accomplished and it's amazing to me um you know why why a podcast what what made you decide you know i, I need to i need to start interviewing these people and and doing doing a podcast well twofold um i was under the radar all of my life i mean i did some things where you know yeah. i would get credit on a on a on a sitcom as a writer or something like that but yeah. mostly what i do people don't understand they don't understand that i've been a creative consultant for commercials and movies and television and brand management and, you know, renaming companies and doing all of that. I just do kind of my clients find me in some odd subversive ways. Yeah. And, and I've done that all my life fairly successfully, but, but it always comes almost like a, um, like a side, somebody goes, Hey, I know a guy who can yeah. help you with that. Right. Like right. that seems to have been how my marketing worked. Yeah. Um, and during the pandemic, all of the normal things that I did, uh, went away, live performance, directing commercials, yeah. uh, not writing, writing didn't go away. And when the venues went away, I thought, you know what? I still have a voice. If I use my voice. And again, this is just another way of yep. taking what you do and making the transfer that's flexible. I'm not a fan of the pivot. When people talk about pivoting, that's that yeah. one foot in the ground spinning in a circle, but yeah. morphing, becoming what you, you know, be it until you can see it. I believe in, right. I believe yeah. in that philosophy that you can learn as you go. And I'm very new with this medium of the podcast yeah. medium, but what, what occurred to me, and this is where I looked at the, to me, the solution is always baked into the riddle. Yeah. And the riddle was if I'm not working and the people I work for aren't working, we can't gather production crew. We can't do that. Then this is when their time is available. Normally to get to the chief creative, you know, officer of Pixar is impossible, but yeah. I was able to reach him in his home for an hour for a conversation that he was looking forward to where we weren't talking about the plight of the global pandemic. We were talking about what we love most, which is being creative. So yeah. I, I thought about it and I also thought, oh, this is a forum for other people in, in conversation with me to find out what it's like when I consult someone, right? Like we're yep. already having these phone calls. Why not make them public in a way by doing it in this other forum? So I don't care if we get a millions of, of folks. I do care that I have a, a legacy library with some of the most interesting people in the world that I have had the pleasure of working with in some capacity yeah. and and in indirectly in the soft serve version of that every one of them is a commercial for my skill set so if i'm talking to a musician or if i'm talking to a writer or director or producer and we unearth what's it like to write a short story how do i get my screenplay published what do i do here right those are all avenues that I've had to go down for myself. And I always wished that I had a mentor or somebody who would reveal some of these secrets that are, there's plenty uh, pie for everybody, right? Yep. There is. We, we all approach it differently. So, uh, you know, I'm, I, I guess it's also at a certain age, you're happy to share what you know. And yeah. so this, this has been really, it was, it was something that really gave me something to hang on to. 
which yeah. was making something. When you make something, you birth it into the world, right? And it, yep. it's yep. something you can have pride in. So I, I'm just so, um, I don't know. I'm, I guess I, I thank the pandemic for getting rid of my excuses, right? I no Love longer that. have an excuse not to write the book because I was sitting there doing nothing. So I began writing the book and I began to have these conversations. And now our conversation is a result of that. Yeah. So it, it's definitely about getting that, getting the ball rolling and anybody that's hesitant, you know, reset your watch to now, right? The time to do stuff is now, not yep. what, not someday because that, yeah. you know, it's just not worth it. Someday may not come. My wife's going to, going to list, take a listen to Pixar Pete doctor. She's going to love one. it. He's so great. And he's I'm, so deserving of his success. He, he really is a really, and he's a Minnesota guy that has been there since the early days uh, yeah. on the toy story stuff. And he talks wow. about his love of, he started with flip books, just drawing on post-it note pads yeah. and, yeah. and literally that's what he did as a kid. And it's the same job only in a bigger place. Right. So wow. what your dreams are today are, are what you will do in the future. So if, that's you're do, amazing. if you're doing nothing today, you will do nothing in the future. Right. I, I love it, dude. Yeah. It's really, I, it. I just wow. can't express enough how important it is to believe that what you want to do is possible and to take that step forward, right? Being proactive about it, not expecting somebody to come, you know, and discover you, you know, just, it's really, it's, it's that when we talk about fear, it's about giving yourself permission to try to do what you want. If you're going to be a singer and you start bad, it doesn't mean you'll always be bad, right? right. It, that Everybody has a learning curve on anything they do. And so yeah. I don't know. It's just really, I, I'm, I'm liberated by the idea that there are more things to do and more people, you know, any, any songwriter that said, I, this is so hard. I can't do what it. it's like, write about what you're feeling because that's what a song is. It's emotions. So if you're yeah. frustrated, then let other people, they're going to, they're going to relate to it. Yeah, I agree. And oh, Jill's and, and, my official new publicist. She pulls the tweets. Jill, thank you. Uh, yeah. Hey, uh, listen, man, I am, I am unbelievable. First, thank you for the wonderful compliment about our daughter. Um, that was thoughtful and very insightful. So thank you for that. And, and, you know, huge congratulations to you on the, on the new podcast. You. you may turn me into a podcast listener. Listen, you don't have to listen to other podcasts. Just I, mine. I probably just mine. won't. <laughs> right. I don't even listen to my own. So, <laughs> well, listen, it, it it is meant to be your companion. So yeah. if you're if you're a person that's working on something else that's passive, or you're you know doing your art or doing something, it's yeah. it's really hopefully it's what we consider to be a creative um, inspiration once a week. And That's look, awesome. it's, it's always sitting there. So yeah. if you miss it for a while and then you come back to it, it's just something to, to take in. But every single person watching this or on the replay or on the podcast, if you're listening, go to creativityincaptivity.fun. That's the website. Um, or just go to your favorite podcast platform and look up creativity in captivity and subscribe to it listen to it and leave a really amazing review. If you have a bad review, keep it no, to yourself. No, I, here's the thing. <laughs> I kidding. say whatever 
your listening experience is, share it, right? Share it. I'm yep. not, I don't need to buy anybody's review. I want people That's to right. feel like this is something, This is there's some take-home value here. But Ken, I can't thank you enough for amplifying this project because it really, it's the little engine that could, right? We just yeah, yeah. take it a day at a time and a show at a time. Yeah. And uh, I know that you offer a lot of people a chance to promote things and to talk about mm-hmm. themselves, but I'm grateful for your uh, believing enough in me and, and getting behind this, the notion of this. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we'll keep moving forward. I'm honored, man. Very, very honored. So thank you for being on. Stay with me if you would. Um, I'm going to go ahead and end this though. And, um, and everybody that shared this out, there are extra points for you somewhere in life. If you shared, <laughs> um, don't know where that is exactly, but, but feel free to share this out. And Pat, thank you so much for coming on and investing your time with us. Listen, I wish everyone much success in breaking through their own walls and finding, you know, a way to, to deliver their express themselves. Cause I think that's the key. You know, you mentioned your daughter, there's yeah. nothing greater than being a father on my resume. That's my Amen. top thing. If you remember me for anything, it's yeah. about being a good dad and the rest of it you can, you can have. So yeah. cheers to everyone. Thank you, Pat. Thank you, everybody. Have a great day. We'll see you later.